Has it occurred to you that the systems we live by are not designed to get results? We pay for procedures instead of outcomes, focusing on emergencies rather than preventing disease and living a healthy lifestyle. For over 25 years, I've taken care of Olympians, Paralympians, A-list actors, and Fortune 1000 companies. If I did not get results, they did not get results. I realized that while powerful people who control the system want to keep the status quo, if I were to educate the masses, you would demand change. So I'm taking the gloves off and going after the systems as they are. Join me on my mission to create a new tomorrow as I chat with industry experts, elite athletes, thought leaders, and government officials about how we activate our vision for a better world. We may agree and we may disagree, but I'm not backing down. I'm Ari Gronich, and this is Create a New Tomorrow Podcast. Welcome back to part two of this interview. If you missed the part one, head back to the previous episode before you listen to this one. Now we'll dive right into the conversation from the moment that we left off. Thanks again and welcome back. So you've been doing this a long time and just as, a, as a, an example, as a story, tell us a story about a really great success that you had with somebody. So, yeah, a lady I had a while ago, I mean, when she first came to see me, she had uh, fibromyalgia and she'd said she was, um, she came in on, on a stick and she said she had been um, out looking at probably needing to get a wheelchair. So she was with her partner and she was in her fifties and she said, you know, I've had this for, for a, a number of years now and it transpired that she'd been an alcoholic or was an alcoholic and had drunk for a lot of years probably 20 years and and when she stopped drinking which I think was something like had been 10 years prior to when I was seeing her then the fibromyalgia came so it's almost as if then she's she becomes aware of probably what was already there and when she began to do the work, it was really interesting to me because we talked about, you know, we talked to, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't spend a lot of time talking about people's childhoods, but we, we talked a little bit about what life was like for her. Uh, and again, looking from a medical history perspective, just looking at, at, at her symptoms and when they first, you know, when, what was it like? Did she get any symptoms when she was younger? But she told me about um, what it was, what her childhood was like. And it was, pretty evident to me that she was uh, bullied uh, and emotionally abused, physically and emotionally abused by both her mother and her old sister. And, but it was really interesting the way she talked about it because she was talking about it in the same way as I'm talking to you now, you know, there was nothing, there was, she wasn't registering, you know, wasn't uh, registering any emotion at all. It was a matter of fact, she was quite happy. She told me she felt sorry for them because they obviously weren't nice people. Now, of course, my perspective is that, well, what's happened is in order to deal with, get through that trauma as a, as a child, she, ought to, she kind of shut off. And we know this happens, don't we? we? We kind of shut off from those emotional processes. And she's, that, that's, that's a, becomes a learned pattern then. So she's, can, as she goes through life, everything is shut down or her emotional side is kind of shut down. 
And again, this from this metaphorical perspective of, well, the body will is trying to tell you something. It's right, well, the emotion is shut down, so the body's now sending symptoms to say, you're not feeling your emotion. You need to feel the emotions you have. So I invited her to take a note of symptoms, as I said, the ups and downs of when, you know, and with the idea that, well, there's a message there. And when she came back to me for the second session, the first thing she was aware, became aware of was all of the emotion that she actually felt about her mother and her sister. Uh, and again, that wasn't the focus of the exercise, the focus of, right, well, there's probably emotion that you're not feeling. That's, the, that's one of the fundamental things, is that the body's sending a symptom because the emotion is not being felt. Because again, going back to what I was saying earlier, we know we can block our feelings, but the emotion is still, is still going. So if there, are, if there are symptoms there, there's every chance you might not be feeling any emotion underneath. We're just going to assume that it's there and not being felt. So that was the first thing was that she was kind of overwhelmed with, oh my God, I, you know, this, I obviously do feel a lot of hurt, a lot of anger about, you know, what happened. But then crucially, it was we, and the, this is where the work kind of stepped in, was that she developed those patterns of, of blocking how she really felt. So we had to look at when symptoms are cropping up and then how does this relate to today, tomorrow and the next day? What's, what was going on at half past three on a Thursday afternoon, uh, what was, what, who was there? What was going on? What might have, what might the emotions have been that the body was trying to kind of get through because they, they weren't being felt. So, and then, so that, you know, that's, that takes a period of time because it's, uh, it's uncovering and then it's all right, well, what, what do I do instead? If I, if I've been like this for kind of 20, 30 years, how do I, how do I change that? But I do remember being on vacation, um, with my family in, in Spain, I, I, I don't know, some, you know, in that summer and getting a text message from her saying that she just completed a local kind of park run, a kind of a, a 5k sort of, uh, fun run. She said, I walked most of it, but she said, I did some jogging. And she said, just to think that, you know, when I came to see you first, I was looking to get a wheelchair because I was having increasing problems walking. I could only walk kind of, you know, 10, 15 steps. So that that was that's a kind of a that's a great success. I think with the thing with that is you, one of the difficulties I think, with the work that I do is that, is that cause and effect are not necessarily closely linked. I think intuitively people sort of know this. You know, going back to you know when you said a headache and well you might need to drink more water. I think people can see that. Well, I got a headache. I'm probably dehydrated. Yeah, probably. Or I'm had too much caffeine, so I'm probably cut back on the coke. Let's get some water. And that makes sort of sense. People can buy that. But if you say, well, actually, you know, there's there's a bunch of emotion going on here that you're not feeling, and your body's trying to tell you with a headache. I think at one level people sometimes know because it's it's not uncommon for for for, for people to say oh god I got a I got a I got a stress headache after a terrible day at, you know at work, and I think they can understand that. The interesting thing, if that headache becomes chronic and you've got a headache for you know quite a bad headache and you're waking up with a bad that headache, it's not going away and it's there for three weeks, four weeks, a month. You're then thinking oh shit, I better go and see my 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 doctor now and then the doctor's going to go on oh, you probably want to take some pills for that so even though intuitively to begin with they probably knew that well yeah this i'm just massively frustrated by by then just going home and having a glass of wine or taking some whatever they take by not actually addressing what's going on there and that's the tricky thing is it's not easy to address what's going on here is there some is there something like some action i need to take because i feel this this level of frustration or whatever it is 
Or does this say something about my model of reality? Is this something about my expectations, my the meaning I place on life? Do we need to look at that? And that's the kind of the deeper stuff. I suppose that's what a lot of my work is about. Is this there's behavioral changes that people make, but there's also that other stuff, or which is who I feel I am in relation to, to work and my boss and whatever it is. And therefore, what, what needs to change in order to get this me flowing and get my emotion flowing? Um, but that, it's, it's not, that's not easy work to do. And as I say, that cause and effect seem to be a little bit further apart. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, well, that, that would that was that's always stuck with me that lady because I I just remember being on vacation seeing that text message, and thinking just know that's that's what this is all about. Absolutely, um, I I love that, and uh, so I like to take this to a little bit more of a thirty thousand foot view. Systemically, societally, right? Uh, I always talk about things like medicine began with infrastructure. We created. Uh, aqueducts and things to move waste away from neighborhoods in order for uh, to keep people from getting sick because they were sleeping next to pig poo you know I mean this is <laughs> this is the 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 reason for infrastructure at the beginning was a medical system it was like okay you're you're sleeping next to the next to the feces you're you're getting sick okay let's move that away from where you're where you're sleeping and living so aqueducts and infrastructure was created and and i have a theory that we have with all of our roads and air travel and noise and bombardment of of radio waves and etc that we have infrastructurally created a system that causes more stress and more illness rather than helping to alleviate. And the other part of that theory is that we made this shit up and we can do better. So why don't we start looking at how do we create a system that causes less stress and is more in harmony and in balance with nature. So if you're, if you're going to look at from a 30,000 foot view and go, I'm looking down on the world going, what can we do as a society to begin the process of reconstructing how we've created this society and and build one that is more attuned with nature and alleviates stress what would be your your thoughts and i know this is like an out of the blue not something that that uh you probably have heard a question like that before, but no, I haven't. But I, 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 my sense of it, it probably starts with it does start with parenting, really, and it starts with the things that we teach our children. Um, you, you know, I, I agree completely with what you say. But, you know, from that perspective of well, the sorts of illnesses that we were dealing with a couple of hundred years ago are entirely different from the sorts of illnesses that we're dealing with now. Most of the chronic health challenges we're facing now are lifestyle health issues. So yeah, we've created something around convenience and a a pleasure fix without a deeper understanding of um, kind of who we are. So I, I think I I think from a younger age we need to be uh, introducing some of the ideas of, you know, where does, you know, who are we? How, where does our experience come from? 
what is what's what's of value and what's important you know even think simple things like like connection but I, for me empowerment is is crucial and having people own their experience and be be honest with that you know so i think we should be teaching kids these things it's, it's the way i parent you know i've got two uh daughters that are 15 and 17 and you know i i've done my best to kind of Im, to empower them with you know to, to to kind of own their feelings to express their feelings to to walk there and stand in their own truth and uh you know i think that's kind of what we should be doing from that you know because the young people then i think they'll come up with ideas of the kind of the complex stuff that we need to do with society as a whole i think this the kind of uh the factory line approach to education for me is 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 not is not worked the you know the the left brain focus of teaching kids a bunch of facts that they then regurgitate for exams you know i, I don't know how different it is over there but i, I know what it's like over here kids are taught to pass exams really and they kind of learn, learn stuff to pass exams uh so that that's for me it's it starts with children but it would be it's it, it's i mean parenting as well i know that's that's a big thing isn't it but i think that people just have kids and i don't know how much they think about how, how they parent but you could argue that you know a huge proportion of the, the issues that we face are, are, are parenting issues but on a completely different note there's an argument to say uh, statistically when it comes to well-being and health the key would be don't be poor because the statistics would suggest that right well you know those people that are living in poverty the kind of the, the, the metrics for health are, are far worse so if there was a a basic universal living wage that could go some way you know to help people get out of poverty that might improve health outcomes and you know you know this this there's a lot of it's it's deep stuff isn't it and there's there's a and i'm no expert on most of it yeah you know um it is very deep one of my my mentors uh is buckminster fuller and his work is to me pretty amazing. And one of the things that he is uh, quoted, and I'm going to paraphrase because it's too long of a quote, but it's basically the auspicious notion that we need to work to be of value needs to end when there is 10,000 people that have the ability to create the technology that would support the rest of the world population to work to be of value is a thing that we've created in our society and because of that we've created this massive amount of stress because now we're not working for or towards our passions we're working for or towards the ability to eat we're working for or towards the ability to put shelter over our heads and to live at all. And that causes such a massive amount of stress that is completely unnecessary in a world that is abundant with shelter and food, right? So we've made it so food is not, 
you know, at least in my area, <clears throat> they were talking a lot about not allowing you to make uh, food in your own backyard, have, a, have an outdoor garden in your own backyard. To me, that's just because you might share it with a friend or a neighbor and, and it may have some salmonella or some disease or some this or that. And so because you may share it with a friend and it's not just a personal consumption, they didn't want to allow that. And I say, you know, there's like, you go down the road, right? And you see all these oak trees or pine trees or whatever trees. I'm like, if all we did is every other tree, we planted an orange tree, an apple tree, a pear tree, a plum tree, you know, <laughs> some berry bushes and stuff, you could walk down the road and eat. And that's your real fast food, right? That's going to cause more health, less stress. If you were to do that in schools, right? You have community schools or community gardens inside of the school that feeds not only the school, but also teaches the kids about planting and, and nutrition and health and so on. This would be something that would be really beneficial. And I had an experience once and I'll, I'll just kind of briefly tell you about it. I was working with my buddy, Mike Torsha, who had started this project called the Shape Up America campaign. It was a project to nonprofit to help get kids healthier. And we went to New York City and we met with the New York City boards on, uh, for their schools for all of New York. So we were talking to the person that was in charge of all of New York's schools and we had the funding, we had the, um, the, the vendors who were ready to put foods that are healthy and so on inside the schools, could create the gardens on top of roofs in some cases because there's plenty of land everywhere even if it's above, right? Or hydroponics, you know, and so forth. So we had all of this prepared and ready and we were just doing our proposal and they said, we have a contract with a sugar company and I'm not gonna name the sugar company, but it's a pretty big company inside of New York City. And uh, we're not allowed to give any foods with alternative to sugar. So it can't be an artificial sweetener like stevia or monk fruit or something healthy or even agave. It had to be sugar or a sugar substitute, right? And that was a statewide contract that they had. So they declined to help their students become healthier because of this agreement or contract they had with a sugar company. And I, I was thinking to myself, like, if only they could understand the logic or lack of logic that they just said to me you know, that, that they just talked about. What is wrong with this picture when money and contracts is more important than the health and living of our populace? And so it made me really think about how do we create these systemic changes? And, uh, you know, and in the, the systemic change of, of decreasing stress is probably the most important to our yeah. overall health that we can make. I, I think there's a couple of things. I think the first thing you said about growing things in your garden, you know, for me, that's nothing to do with 
potentially uh, giving salmonella to your neighbour. It's all about that's all about control, isn't it? Because if you're self-sufficient, we don't own you. So whilst that's a conspiracy kind of notion, I think we all kind of know that big business runs the world, really. Uh, and again, that's the, that's the second thing in, that goes into the second piece, doesn't it? If people are self-sufficient, you know, and there's the, the, those power structures are kind of brought down. Now, I, I think part of what's going on, you know, I don't know where you stand with it, but I think part of what's going on at the moment is I think we are going through this a huge period of dramatic change. And I think that part of it is there is a breaking down of the old. And we are, you know, arguably it's a very exciting time, but whenever there is a period of going through change, whether it's an individual, whether it's a culture, whether it's a planet, there is a period of chaos or seeming chaos while there is this breaking down and, and, and rebuilding. And I think that's where we, where, where we are right now. I think we're seeing transparency. I think we're seeing, you know, the, the, the grip of, the grip of the old, of the old ideas, of the old structures, I, I think that's kind of coming down. And we're, we're witnessing it. So it's an exciting time to be around. But yeah, I think it's, 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 it's got to be, it's fundamental, isn't it? I think it's, uh, I, I wondered whether things post-COVID might begin to go back to something a little bit more local. I mean, I know what it's like around here. People show, you know, are, are, are buying things in local stores. So you know, their fruit and veg and their meat and whatever is, is locally sourced. Um, so I, it would be nice to see a, a proliferation of, of that as we kind of move, move forward. But yeah, I, I think, you know, we're in for a bit of a, a rocky road over the next couple of years or a, a rocky ride. Um, but hopefully, you know, I'm very optimistic that there is this kind of global change in, it, in, a, in a positive way. I think the old the old guard will try to hang on to power, you know, because those small number of people in power will want to hold on to their power. Um, but I think, I think ultimately that we, hopefully, we, we, we will see a, a fundamental change. In, you know, we can look back in however many years time, 10, 20, 30 years, 40 years time, and look back and say, yeah, you know, things, things really were changing then. Yeah, you know, I, I, have a, I have a feeling that we are at this crossroads and we can either choose to go with the status quo or we could choose to go with a revolution. And it doesn't have to be a violent revolution as we've been seeing with a lot of protests. It could be a peaceful revolution, but a revolution is what's needed. And, you know, this show is called Create a New Tomorrow for a Reason because it's all about activating your vision for a better world. And, you know, I'm, I'm starting a mastermind to go along with this kind of a, a philosophy so that we can get people having these kinds of conversations on a regular basis that actually move forward society, that move forward people individually, communities locally, and society as a whole. And the idea is to really create this new tomorrow to figure out, okay, we're in this transition period and they're saying the new norm, well, we don't want this to be the new norm where we're socially isolated and having to cover our faces and not being able to hug and hold and, and 
so on. So we've got to figure out a new, new norm. And wouldn't it be awesome if that new norm was one that was in alignment with nature, that understood nature and still allowed technology to move forward faster while being in harmony with nature. And so that's kind of my, my feeling is like, how do we recreate this society? Because we did make it up. We created it. It's our imaginations that, that has developed every building that you see, every, um, every piece of legislation that came from us humans, right? It wasn't, it wasn't the monkeys. It wasn't the sharks. wasn't the dolphins that created this. We created it. And I think people forget that, we created this society and we have the ability and opportunity at any given moment to shift and change what we've done and what we're doing for a more optimal response to get better results for higher and greater performance. And so that's really the, the basis of me wanting to do this show for me wanting to have people like you on and so I'm going to ask you, as I ask everybody, and I, I asked you in the last uh, episode that we did together, what are three, one to three things that are actionable steps that somebody could actually take with them and do today, tomorrow, and the next day to improve their world, to create a new tomorrow for themselves and for the world that they live in? Well, you're right. It, it does start with the with the individual, doesn't it? I think that I always like to kind of break things down into little chunks that we can do. So, um, <clears throat> what I would say is, you know, in the last show, I, I mentioned breathing, and you know, we talked about the the importance of coming back into the body and breathing. But I, I think that um, learning to feel is really important, and, and I think that the way we can do that is that. You know, as a listener, you could take, you could say, right, I'm going to take one day or I'm going to take two days or I'm going to take a week. And what I'm going to do during that one day, two days or week, I'm going to allow myself to be curious about how I feel, what I feel about things. Because, you know, there's an idea about what I like, what I don't like and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to allow myself to be curious. But when I experience maybe some uncomfortable feelings, I'm going to allow them to be there because what instinctively happens is that we experience some discomfort, anger, fear, sadness, whatever it is, frustration. And we, we instinctively we block it. We try to push it aside, or we go into our head and we try to rationalize it away. So what I would say is take that take that period of time, one day, two days a week, and allow yourself to come into your body, be aware of feelings, and when you notice an uncomfortable feeling, just be aware of it and remind yourself that. Do you know, it's perfectly okay for me to feel this feeling now. I can fully feel it, whatever it's like, tension or whatever, wherever, wherever it is. I can fully feel it. I can observe it. I can feel it. I can watch it and experience it. It's not a problem and I don't have to solve this. Now, it may be that it's inviting me to take action, but critically, the first step is I can let myself feel this. And it's okay. What I feel is not a problem. I don't have to solve the feeling. Now, it may be that it just moves. Or it may be that it moves you to do something. But honouring that, I, for me, that's kind of the first step, is that it's honouring 
your feelings because so often we're labeling them. I don't want to be feeling this. I don't want to be the type of person that feels this. And quite quickly, because often what happens is our emotion does lead to an increase in activity of the within the uh, thought centers of the brain. So usually what happens is that when we feel something, our thinking lights up and we usually we get caught in kind of mind loops. So coming out of the head, and it can be that you notice that your head goes first. And in those instances, it's coming back into the body because this is the advantage of breathing. When you learn to breathe, you've le- you're training yourself out of your head a little bit back into the body anyway. But that idea that, all right, well, let's just come back into the body. And as a first step, let me remind myself what I feel. Is, and it's perfectly okay for me to feel this anger. This anger is not a problem. Okay, you can be, well, well, what, given I feel this, what is it I'd like to do? Is there anything I need to do? Is it prompting me to say something or to take some action? Or do I just need to allow myself to feel this without it being a, being a, a problem? So that's my, that's my one major actionable step. And if, if as I say, if people did that, even if it's for a day, it would, I would be interested to know what their, you know, what the experience is from that. Because there is that instinct to, to resist immediately, to, you know, to tighten up, resist it or chatter. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that whole being curious is also the same thing as becoming aware of. And when you become aware of something, it's like shining the light into the darkness. And so what I heard you just say, in my words, right, is shine the light into the darkness on your feeling and emotion so that you can recognize that it's there. A lot of people don't know when they're feeling angry, sad, grieving, emotional, or whatever. They just are feeling a stress, a distress, right? So, and the part that you said, not judging it, right? Not judging that feeling. It's okay that I'm angry. It's okay. I don't have to do anything with it. It's okay that I feel that. That is to me a a brilliant, you know, piece of advice for people. And then the only other thing that I would, that I would, I guess, want to add to that is, and you said this is the now what, right? Now that I know this, what am I going to do with it? And I might go a little bit further and ask, when was the first time I felt this? Just as a curious, curious question. When was the first time that I felt this? kind of a feeling and just so that my my body can unravel the cord to the very beginning you know i'm it might have been when i was three it might have been when i was two somebody said something that felt you know mean to me and then i i just got reminded of it now you know in healing we always say that there's nothing that can happen to you now that is the cause of your feelings. It's all the memories of the first time it happened. <laughs> you know, the first time that trauma happened. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's a, it's a really interesting thing that you were saying about recognizing being curious. So. It is, I, I think that idea, so I just, I think that idea of what I feel is not a problem is massive because people immediately will be, trying to rationalize away, trying to think it away, judging it. There's so many things because it, it's, it, it's no surprise, is it? Because 
the, uh, according to science, as far as I'm aware, that the same areas of the brain light up when you experience an emotional pain as when you experience a physical pain. And we know that human beings are wired to try to get away from pain or dissociate from pain as quick as possible. So whether it be thinking my way out of it or trying to find meaning in it, or whatever it is, or getting stuck in mind loops, or just resisting it or tensing up whatever it is, there is that, that's usually what people are doing. There's, there, there's something in down that avenue that they're taking. The idea of coming back and, do you know what? And what, what inter what's interesting for me is that you'll have maybe the anger that you're feeling, which is uncomfortable, but then there's a whole layer of suffering that goes with that, with the, the resistance and then the mental churning that associates that. And we can get rid of that suffering and come back to whatever the, the feeling is simply by coming into the body and then being okay well this is not a problem it may be that i've got to turn around to my boss and say well actually look i, I can't take on that extra shift right now um you know so it may be that the frustration or anger is inviting us to to do that but critically the first stage is always this isn't a problem the feeling is not a problem uh, it doesn't mean that they say this it may well be that there's a problem out there that I need to deal with, but that's what the emotion is for to a certain extent. It's giving us a, potentially giving us a nudge. Absolutely. And that is absolutely brilliant. And uh, this has been an amazing conversation that we have, uh, that we've been on nice journey of experience and discovering uh, ways in which we can take our stresses and turn them into positive behaviors and positive positivity versus uh, turning them inward into disease. And so I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this wisdom. How could people get a hold of you if they want to get a hold of you? Uh, the website is energyflowcoaching.com. Uh, I'm on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter as Energy Flow Coaching and Kyle Davies. So yeah. And, and yeah, you know, I, I love talking about this kind of stuff. So if anyone is listening and is interested or has any questions, please do get in touch with me and ask me because I'm more than happy to, you know, fire you an email or even have a chat. So, yeah, I, I think it, it starts with with discussions like this, doesn't it? That's how we, be, you know, our creativity comes from this. And then we share ideas and we develop new ones. And I think this sort of stuff is incredibly important. So thank you for having me on. Uh, congratulations on this because I think it's brilliant. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And just in case anybody is wondering, uh, you know, Kyle works with people in the UK, USA, Brazil, Canada, Argentina. I mean, anywhere in the world that you are, we have shrunk the world with Zoom. He is more than happy to, to be of service and, uh, and has been for a number 20, what is it, 25 years now. So I look forward to having you on sometime in the future. And again, thank you for listening and thank you for being here and taking your time to, uh, to understand these, these things and have these conversations with us. Uh, I look forward to your comments. Thank you so much. Create a new tomorrow. I'm your host, Ari Gronich. Activate your vision for a better world and have a healthy day. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate all you do to create a new tomorrow for yourself and those around you. If you'd like to take this information further and are interested in joining a community of like-minded people who are all passionate about activating their vision for a better world, 
Go to the website, createanewtomorrow.com and find out how you can be part of making a bigger difference. I have a gift for you just for checking it out and look forward to seeing you take the leap and joining our private paid mastermind community. Until then, see you on the next episode.